In Rome, you never know what lies around the corner. In a city with more than 2,000 years of history, the next thing you stumble across might be a Baroque masterpiece, an ancient treasure, or just a picture-perfect piazza where the locals are savouring an aperitivo in the evening sun. Hi, I'm Uta Juncker, and this is I Know This Place, a podcast that explores the world's most fascinating destinations through the eyes of those who know them best. Today, we're going to take a walk through downtown Rome with one of its best chefs, Christina Baumann, whose restaurant, Glass Ostaria, is known for its innovative food. She joins me today at Romeo, one of her other restaurants, where the staff are currently getting ready for Sunday lunch. Christina, thanks for joining us. Thanks for inviting me. So you're originally from Puglia, but you've lived in Rome for 14 years. What's your favorite way of getting around town? My favorite way to uh, go around Rome is on foot. I love uh, walking through the streets of Rome. And uh, as I always say, I live in Rome, but in reality, I concentrate myself within the Statue and Trastevere. So I literally know, I think, every cobblestone on, <laughs> on the pavement. <laughs> so these are two districts that are right at the heart of town. And people think of Rome as this vast city, which it is. But, but the central downtown area is actually surprisingly small, isn't it? It is. I mean, you can literally walk uh, through all the most famous monuments uh, in Rome within like few hours. Uh, you can move from like Trastevere to the Vatican in like 25 minutes walk. <laughs> in fact, I really don't understand a lot of people who actually get the car to do like three miles. So just walk because there's so much to see and every single day uh, you can find like different angles or new different spots. So after 14 years, you're still making new discoveries? Yes. As a matter of fact, just yesterday I was walking through like one little street in, uh, in uh, Trastevere. And at one point I saw Vicolo dell'Atleta, the athlete Vicolo. And I thought, why, why would I call it that way? And then I looked at it and it was like all up and down, all up and down. It was extremely small. So in my mind, I made up this story. I said, well, probably because you really have to be an athlete to, <laughs> to go up that, that little vicolo. So we don't know if that's actually why they named it that, but it fits. Yes, and I will remember it. I perfectly remember it. So let's, let's take a little walk through downtown. Where do you want to start? start the walk? Well, I'm going to start actually outside of Trasevente Staccio. I'm going to start from uh, the place where I first lived when I moved to Rome. Um, it was, a, I came here by, with the idea of staying here for about six months. So my... So this was 14 years ago. <laughs> exactly. And uh, my best friend lived in uh, Via Cavour. So, uh, so Via Cavour is a big bustling main street. Exactly, that connects basically the train station with the Colosseum, if you go like down that street. And um, I would walk every day to go to, to the Convivio Toriani, which was the Michelin star restaurant that I first staged that because that was the reason I came here. Uh, I thought I'm going to go to a Michelin star restaurant, I'm going to basically take and steal whatever I need, and then I'm going to go back to Austin and open my own restaurant. So you kind of did all of that, but in Rome. Exactly. <laughs> you went, I can get my own Michelin star in Rome, I know. thanks very much. And uh, so I walk every day, and it was a beautiful walk. You go down Via Cavour, there's actually one little, um, one little st uh, stairs, staircase that you go up, and you can go to San Pietro in Vicoli, which is one of the most famous sculpture and churches in Rome. 
then you go down on Via Cavour and you find yourself with Fort Imperiali right in front of you and the Colosseum that's, on the left. So, so that's the ancient imperial forum, exactly. which is the center of Rome exactly. as a political, religious, it all happened there. And the imperial forum at night is absolutely stunning. The lighting, and it gives you like really the feeling, especially if there's no that much traffic and now they closed it down, fortunately. Um, it really feels like you are back in the days and uh, it is one of the most uh, emotional views that you can actually get out of Rome. I remember the very first time I went to the forum and I was just walking through because I just couldn't believe you can just walk through kind of thing. Exactly. And there was a tour group near me and I could hear the tour leader going and th this ruin here was, was the house of I don't know, was it the house? It was the temple of something or the house of something where Julius Caesar, you know, attended rites. Oh, and it was okay. like, I'm standing on yeah. a paving stone that Julius Caesar once stood on. And I know, it is just, it, it is insane to actually think that all these ruins have been around for like 2,000 years. And uh, there's so much history. Every cobblestone, every stone, every little piece of Rome really uh, extrudes. Uh, history and that's uh, really something that if you have never felt it you'll you'll feel it in Rome and I love mm -hmm. your tip too about going at night because yes. uh, yeah I was staying not far away on that first trip and I remember one night heading out to dinner and it was exactly that thing it was all litter yes. and if you come at a busy time Rome is a busy city but in the evening crowds sort of melt away and you can really be transported back in fact walking early morning or at night is my favorite uh, time of the day. Like for instance, Trastevere, you're talking about two different areas. There are sil there's silverware. Um, <laughs> two different Someone is polishing that silverware. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there are two different, um, two different cities, basically. You're talking about a completely different atmosphere, completely different um, approach. So, um, for instance, in Trastevere, whenever you walk in the morning, especially when there's a spring, uh, it's springtime, you can see the light, the crisp air, and uh, the people from Trastevere actually come out. <laughs> because, <laughs> because during the day, they kind of, yeah, let those tourists exactly. move through. So, back to our walk. We're, we're in the Roman Forum. Where are we heading next? Okay, from the Roman Forum, you can see the Colosseum on the left, which is, of course, you know, if you have time, you have to go inside, though, not just looking from outside. Because so it's what are you going to see inside? Oh, you're going to see the place, like, for instance, the marble seat, white marble seat, where the emperor would sit. And you could see, like, the cages where the lions were. And you could see the places where the gladiator would get ready. And uh, you could see, like, how smart and advanced were the architects from that time. Like for instance, can you believe that they actually flooded the Colosseum in order to pretend, you know, like a battleship war? I mean, we get pretty excited when they deal with that in an entertainment venue today. Exactly, and like in Vegas, you know. 2000 years ago. And, and yes, I love that I think the size of it is one thing, but seeing the mechanics of it and how they had all the mm -hmm. You know, because you had wild animals and you had gladiators and then you had support staff and they all have the entrances and the exits and the passageways. And you can see that all when you go inside. I know. I know. It is, it, it is uh, insane and stunning to see how many people actually, especially kids, 
I, I took my son over there and he was like listening to the guy because last time I went, I went twice inside, <laughs> and which is almost amazing for an Italian or people who live in Rome because I know a lot of people who, have, who, have, who were born in Rome and have been living in Rome all their lives and they never went inside the Colosseum. I'm like, what? You need to go inside. You need to understand exactly what was going on. And I remember my son and the other kids were like totally like taken by the guys, the tour guy that was explaining everything that happened within the Colosseum. So it is a piece of history that people actually took with them. And uh, it is a, a unique experience. You cannot find it anywhere in the world. Okay, so into that Colosseum. Exactly. So you got the Colosseum on the left, then you can go on the right and uh, you land basically, you walk right in front of the uh, Vittoriano. The vi okay. Yes. So, so this is one of those things that people who haven't been to Rome will never have heard of. Mm -hmm. People who have been, been to Rome will go, oh yeah, because everyone sees it and goes, oh, what's that? And it's a monument to King Vittorio Emanuele exactly. Due. And it's, how does one describe it? It's imagine the biggest, most elaborately decorated wedding cake you can. Yes. <laughs> Pump it full of steroids. I know. And it's right there, sort of three kind of roads converge on it in the middle of downtown Rome. It is true. And when I first moved to Rome, I had, of, of course, I had been to Rome several times before uh, coming back here, but I never really paid too much attention. As a matter of fact, when I saw it the first time, I thought, what exactly what you thought? this is horrible this <laughs> like absolutely uh, i hate it it is like so massive it is like so that's what i said that's what i thought too so much testosterone in there <laughs> i'm like why is that here then as time went by and uh the uh, the fact that i would just walk right in front of it it's almost like a point of reference but also I have visited inside many, many times because it, it has uh, several beautiful exhibitions. And I like to go to the museum, especially my, on my day off, or for instance here, I think every Thursday, uh, third Thursday of the month, it's free museum for everybody. Oh, that's a good tip. Yes. And uh, they have like very, very nice exhibitions, like from Pollock to you know, Basque, you have like several ones. Fantastic. And, um, and, and, and also a pretty good breed change. You know, mm -hmm. they change the exhibitions every few months. But also if you go on the roof of the Vittoriano, it is beautiful because there's, uh, there are like plexiglass uh, maps, so you can actually see what you're looking at. Oh, yes. so it helps you like, I thought you were gonna tell me, it's got a great view because it's the one place in Rome you don't see the monument. <laughs> you can no. see everywhere. And also it's one of the very, uh, the very few places that you can see from everywhere in Rome because you see the horses on, uh, on top and yeah. so you know exactly what, where, you, where you're at. No matter how lost you are, exactly. you can always point, point your And also it has a nice, nice view and you can get like a major aperitif right there. So you can sit down and look at the sunset and it's beautiful. Oh, okay. So, so rooftop drinkies. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Caffarelli is like beautiful. It is right there and uh, you can go, um, you know, once you can visit the museum mm -hmm. and uh, then you can go up and that sunset, you can get like a nice aperitif. Well, there you go. Countless times in Rome, I've never done that. I'm adding that to the list. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is beautiful. Those um, buildings right there, even Palazzo Generale, which is right in front of the Vittoriano on mm -hmm. the right, it has two major terraces, you know, two like 
places where you can literally, it feels like you can touch the Vittoriano for how wow. close you are. I've done two events on both and it's like, it's just insane. It's very, very Fantastic. close. Okay. Yes. So beyond the white marble wedding cake, mm -hmm. where are we heading now? Then you go left, you go down Vittorio Emanuele and uh, if you slide, if you make a slight right, you can actually get into the uh, Jewish ghetto. And now we've got a completely different atmosphere, completely, right? Completely. At night it's very festive. Uh, it has pedestrian uh, areas, so you, you're safe even with kids. But the, the uh, Jewish ghetto has its own tradition, uh, its own population, because there's, uh, there's, there's people who have been living there forever for generations. And also you can have a completely different restaurant, you know, food offer. Mm -hmm. uh, because you can enjoy all the Jewish tradition food. For instance, uh, the crostata ricotta vichele, with ricotta and uh, wild cherries. Ooh, or So that's a, that's a cake? Yes, it is. It is one of the, the traditional um, uh, cake from, you know, from the Jewish tradition, exactly. And it will, and particularly from the Roman Jewish tradition, Correct. right? Which has over, I think, thousands of years developed yes. its actual own tradition. Well, they brought it with them too, so. And then developed it further as exactly. they Exactly, now it has become like one of the attractions. But, you know, of course it, it should be because once you walk in there, it almost feels like you're walking to a different city. And of course, we cannot neglect to talk about artichokes. Oh, my favorite. Exactly, because, you know, somehow, and it is very interesting how that happened, the, uh, the way the Jewish uh, tradition treats artichokes has become famous all over the world. <laughs> the artichokes Roman way or alla Judea, as I said, you know, the other kind, have become like a, uh, an attraction. I have like many, many people, even friends of mine who live outside of Italy, it's like, oh, I would like to have un carciofa alla Judea. <laughs> and you're like, how do you know that? <laughs> and the, the technique is extremely interest, interesting. There was uh, one lady, her name was uh, is Iole, but they just sold their restaurant uh, last year after 35 years that they owned it in Trasevere. Fantastic. Uh, Dario Capellanti and Iola. And Iola has been in the kitchen up to 76 years old. Oh. And she would personally make the artichokes. And the artichokes alla Judea, they are very difficult. They are not uh, easy. Yeah, so it's a, it's a double frying procedure, is that right? It is a low temperature uh, frying, but it's also the, the way that, they, for instance, she prepared it. First of all, you have to clean it. Second, you have to put it in cold, icy water. Mm -hmm. And uh, then you uh, fry it at a low temperature, but she will put a brick on top. Because this way it opens up and it literally looks like a flower. It's, and this is one of my favorite things about it. So it, it looks a bit like a deep fried chrysanthemum when it comes mm -hmm, on the exactly. table. And it's so pretty. And then it's also really easy to eat because you just pull each petal yes. off and they're crispy on the outside and creamy on the inside. One of the things that I've done, or one of my favorite dishes that I do when artichokes come around, is uh, artichokes two way. So I do the artichoke Roman way mm -hmm. and then I make a, a cream out of it. Oh. And I put it on the bottom. Then I take took I take chinar, which is a, a liquor okay. based on the active principle of the the artichoke, which mm -hmm. is very good for your liver. Okay. And I make caviar. And then I prepare the carciofa la Judea. So I take all the leaf that have been deep fried, and I recreate the artichoke on the plate. 
and uh, it is really good and it's stunning to look at it because it looks like an artichoke that you are you have both yeah. you know the artichoke roman way and the jewish way and it and looks like an artichoke and it's beautiful and it's very different and it's also very good Okay, and what everyone wants to know now is remind us when artichoke season is in Rome. Well, right now it's basically finishing up, but also you have artichokes all year long here. The period, the best period though, is uh, um, between spring season. Mm -hmm. You know, that's when it starts, and so you have April, it like April, May. Yeah, exactly. Those are like the best because you have like different kinds of artichokes. We have like a, a major variety, but you want the Roman, you know, the one from Rome. So and you have the other ones coming from France or from Sardinia. And they're not quite the same? No, they're not because they are like very difficult to eat. They sometimes they have like uh, little pricks that can hurt you or they have a lot of uh, the part inside the, it's called barba, like the beard. Like a beard. Exactly. So. Uh, the beard and the, so most of it just uh, it needs to be thrown away. Okay, so clearly we're going to come and eat that at Glass Osteria. Yes. But if we wanted to go to the ghetto, is there a restaurant you'd recommend there? Well, there are like uh, several ones. Um, uh, one of them, I think the name, uh, I, I'm not very good at name, but it's Gino. Da Gino mm -hmm. or Da Betta, Nonna Betta. Yes. And uh, I think that those are like the ones that I've been at for sure, and they are like very, very good. Sometimes, you know what I do? Uh, if I have um, people who uh, want to follow a certain diet for religious purposes, mm -hmm. so uh, I actually uh, call them up and I have, you know, them prepare like a kosher meal. And then I deliver to my to my client. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, because if they are very strict, they actually cannot even use my silverware or my yeah. plates and so on. So. Mm -hmm. Oh, fantastic! So you're you're we're in the Jewish ghetto, which is a place narrow streets, high walls, mm -hmm. some lovely little outdoor restaurants. Where are we walking to next? Okay, um, near before mm -hmm. getting to the Jewish, there's another restaurant that I would like to. To mention it's literally like one block before mm -hmm. you actually get into the jewish uh, uh, ghetto and it's called la ciambella it's in via arco de la ciambella arch of the ciambella the ciambella is basically the donut so um there's this arch evidently somebody thought oh that reminds me of a donut it's and very so italian it all comes <laughs> back to the food <laughs> and so the restaurant is called la ciambella this restaurant is owned by francesca and mirka Mirka is like a very, very well-known sommelier. She's very young, but she's uh, very well-known in Italy for her skills. And she created a major wine cellar full of very, very small wine producer, very interesting that go from biodynamics, of course, organic, and the traditional one as well. And uh, Francesca prepares Roman food. She makes major artichokes <laughs> and sweetbreads. Oh. Mm. Very, very good. with sweetbread. Yes. Oh, nice. Yes. It's one of the combinations from here. So she prepares Roman food with, of course, a little bit, a touch of elegance, but still traditional Roman food. And, but you can match it up with like great wine. And I think it is one of the offers that are more, mostly interesting in Rome right now. Okay. So that's a good one to look up. So then you need to go to Trastevere. You get to Trastevere. <laughs> you are right there. So Trastevere 
the name means literally, uh, the Tevere is the name for the Tiber in uh -huh. Italian, so exactly. it means literally across the Tiber. So you exactly. walk across one of the bridges across the river and you're in Trastevere. Yeah, probably you know, the most famous bridge is Ponte Sisto, it's the pedestrian bridge. And so you can cross it and uh, you can go on the other side. Now Trastevere used to be like the poor area. Like, you know, in any, in any big city with a river, on the other side of the <laughs> river, it's the poor, the poor area where, um, you know, like people who cannot, could not afford to live downtown will live there. Mm -hmm. But as time went by, like in any other big city, the east part or the across um, uh, area has become in reality one of the most uh, incredible attractions. So a lot of artists moved there. It has become like a sort of point of reference for all people who wanted to um, do something different or live a different lifestyle. Now um, it is, uh, you have lots of um, tourists at night, but there's still a good part of the population that is still Trasseverina. So they own their houses, they've been living there forever. Uh, they're like characters. Like I know them all, you know, so I know that guy has been, Alfredo, for instance, has been there forever. He knows everybody. And uh, one of the funny anecdotes, you know that a lot of movies have been, have been uh, filmed in mm -hmm. Trastevere. So there used to be like a group of uh, people who lived in Trastevere that would make the filming impossible unless you paid them. <laughs> because basically they would not stop in front of the camera. And so it was basically you either give me money and I get out of your way, otherwise you're not gonna, I'm not going to let you film. I love this idea and they're sitting there just waiting for the camera to start rolling and then they're like, going for a walk Yeah, now. exactly. <laughs> or they would make noises and so on. So they're like very well known. They actually lived, lived off of the, um, the tips and the wow. money they would get out of the, the movie maker. It was in, the, in their budget, you know. The yeah. movie maker, okay, the budget, yeah, yeah, this money is for those guys. Yeah, we're filming in Trastevere. Right, got to pay <laughs> off the locals. <laughs> I know. And I know some of them. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't even know. I mean, he told me that, wow. this Alfredo. And I saw him in action anyway. Uh, because, you know, I think like a couple of years ago, Woody Allen was filming there and that's when he told me for the first time. And this is, I mean, the reason that filmmakers love Trastevere is because it's, it's poor people's houses. It's, it's small little houses that are all picturesque and look so endearing. So, Yes, beautiful also Bougainville and, and all the Jasmine. The coming down yes, and exactly. the Jasmine in spring. I think as a person who has, uh, was born and raised in Puglia, I lived in the States for 16 years and then I've been living here for the last 14. I think that one of the most incredible things that you really cannot wrap your, your head around it is the fact that it looks and feels totally unorganized, <laughs> completely like the most confusing place that you could ever walk through. But then in the end, everything fits. In the end, everything works. I don't know how they do that, but literally it does. And uh, that's how it was ever is. Everything is messy, parking and people are walking and cars that should not be there, they are there. But then in the end, everything works. And so that's one thing about Italy, especially you know, from Bologna down. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that really is stunning. It, it, it I can imagine it might be frustrating if you live it, but it's part of, for visitors, that's yes. part of the charm, isn't it? I think that not only visitors, but also people who accept to live there. I mm -hmm. lived in Trastevere for 10 years, and uh, that's one thing you have to accept. Mm -hmm. So you either like it or not. I love the people talking, laughing. Uh, I, I, I love the crowd in general. 
and I love all the little trattorias that are in there. Some of them are really authentic. They've been there forever. Da Corrado, Da Gussarello, uh, Trattoria La Scala. Those are all places that have been there forever. And uh, then there are the new places, of course, and, uh, or pizza places, or beer, uh, you know, artisanal beer places. And uh, if you know where to go, Trastevere can be a beautiful place. And if you decide, like I always suggest, to take a walk in the, in the mornings, mm -hmm. especially springtime when the air is crisp and there's the sun, and you go to the market in San, Cos San Cosimato, San Cosimato Square, there's a market, you literally can enjoy a piece of authenticity that you rarely find in any other city. So Fantastic. Now, speaking of authenticity, can't let you go without asking. We've, we've talked about the Jewish tradition, Roman food. Mm -hmm. Some people will just go, I know what to eat in Rome. I need to eat spaghetti carbonara. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You've got a look on your face when <laughs> I say that. I know, because carbonara is really, I personally say, and uh, I think I'm supported by many studies. As a matter of fact, there was a one book uh, just written by, uh, published by Eleonora Cozzella. She's a very famous, uh, well-known journalist from, uh, you know, from Milan. Now from Milan, she's been living in Rome forever. She moved to <laughs> Milan three years ago and we always pick on her and say, oh, you betrayed us. <laughs> and she wrote a book uh, called La Carbonara. So there's, uh, she made a study on all where the carbonara is from and what ingredients. And in reality, one of the things that might surprise you is that the carbonara in the beginning actually um, had a little bit of cream added to it. And we picked on Blumenthal because it did that <laughs> for long, the longest time. So it's not really Roman. It is probably one of the most famous ones, but it's not really Roman. Roman, you're talking about sweet breads. Mm -hmm. You're talking about all the offal, mm -hmm. like from the animal, because it's poor people food. So all the leftovers, you know, the big, the nice parts of the, of the animal will go to like the rich people and all whatever was left over is, you know, was uh, for poor people. And there's actually a great phrase for that in Italian, right? The quinto quarto. Which exactly. is the fifth quarter. Exactly, <laughs> because the animal is generally, you know, uh, divided in quarters and the fifth quarter is uh, the offal, uh, the <laughs> which I love, by the way. As a matter of fact, right now, even in my menu at uh, Glass, I have veal heart and that I make it like in a modern way. Because sometimes, I, I, I am absolutely convinced about that, um, tradition can be preserved only if you innovate it. Mm -hmm. If you keep on like uh, trying, if you, keep, uh, if you try to keep the tradition exactly as it is, people will forget it people will not accept it because our lifestyle is different, because our taste buds are different, our approach to certain things are different. So I cook it in a modern way that is, you know, like I brine it and then I smoke it and then, you know, whenever it comes to you, it actually almost carpaccio and it's pink inside, mm -hmm. which is so something totally uh, abnormal for the tradition. Then I, I, I serve it on smoked um, potatoes with coffee and habanero. So it is like a truffle, of course, you know, you have to have black truffle. Of course. <laughs> yes. And, uh, so we're taking the poor people's food with the rich people's food. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, yes, even though the, the price is still acceptable for the, uh, if you're referring to black truffle, yeah. uh, when, it's when it's in uh, season, it's not uh, like it's something Outrageous that you can, um, you know, expensive. yeah, exactly. No, it's not white truffle. <laughs> and um, 
And then, for instance, I have, and that's one of the things that I will never take out of my menu, as a pre-dessert, mm -hmm. uh, so before the dessert in my traditional but not too much tasting menu, I have sweet breads. As a, as a pre-dessert? Correct. I treat it with uh, sweet soy sauce. Okay. Then I make a foie gras torchon that I reduce in powder with the liquid nitrogen. Okay, and then so that's, wild that cherry. is really rich and packed with exactly. flavor. And then I have wild cherries that have been preserved in Armagnac. So mm -hmm. it's just like a, like a one and a half bite. Mm -hmm. But the fact that I serve pre, uh, you know, sweetbreads as, as pre-dessert, people are like, what? <laughs> and then they eat it and they're like, oh my God, this is awesome. And the reason is because it really surprises you. And uh, that really indicates it kind of gives you the, the idea of how much we are concentrating we are concentrating we are actually we have preconceived notions like sweetbreads cannot be predestined well they can it's our tradition or our you know the way that we grew up that we think it cannot be so it's just the fresh take on the old favorite yes christina you've offered us a fresh take on rome so thank you very much for that and thank you for listening. If you'd like to have a look at what Christina's up to next, uh, her restaurant is Glass Osteria and her website is christinabauman.com. Alternatively, for more podcasts, you can head over to my website, utejunker.com, U-T-E-J-U-N-K-E-R.com. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.